Hey there, and welcome back to another episode of Scopophilia. We are the millennial movie movement, and I, of course, am your host, Becky Teller. Back at it with more interesting people, more interesting movies, just more, more, more. And now that we are, we're so close to the end of season three, I honestly can't believe it. Snow is predicted to fall in my area any minute now. It's really starting to feel like the holiday season. And what better way to celebrate the holiday season, not with a holiday movie, (laughs) but with a film that I think inspires a lot of hope and honestly, a guest who also inspires conquering your fear and, you know, living to the fullest and all of those things. So I will be completely transparent about today's episode. Uh, Today's guest, we have Sasha Ferguson, wonderful, talented life guide, uh, yoga mentor. It's kind of hard to describe what she does for a living, um, but absolutely delightful. And she came on the show and did whatever she wanted. (laughs) And normally, you know, there's a format if you are, you know, not familiar with the show. uh, Normally, there's a format where we discuss the film. And this episode is not that. Um, we did discuss the way the film, The Intouchables, which is a French film, um, affected us and made us feel. But for most of this episode, it feels a little bit more like a therapy session, like a breakthrough session. And I personally didn't come prepared for that. So by the time, you know, me and Sasha said goodbye to each other, it was kind of like, wow. What did I just go through? But in like the best possible way, if that makes sense, um, you'll see what I mean. So as I mentioned, the film uh, we're kind of talking about today in this episode is The Untouchables uh, from 2011. It is a French film, which is why there are no clips in today's episode. I know I'm sorry to all my native French speakers and Canadians and all of those. I don't speak French and It didn't quite feel right in the episode, so I decided to forego them. Um, But if you have not seen the film, check it out before listening to this episode, because I think it really relates to a lot of the things that me and Sasha are discussing today. So without further ado, my interview with Sasha Ferguson about one of her favorite films, The Intouchables. Enjoy! Scopophilia. It's the newest thing to hit the market. Defined as deriving aesthetic pleasure from looking at something, it's the new craze sweeping the nation. Taken in large doses, side effects can include an addictive nature to have more film content. If this increase occurs, consult no one and keep listening. Scopophiliacs, and welcome back to another episode of Scopophilia. And this is a very exciting one, uh, not only because of the film content, as always, but I have the lovely Sasha Ferguson on today. And I'm so excited. We've already had a pretty great pre show conversation already, but 
you know, for those who are maybe unfamiliar with your name, you know, tell us about you and everything that we need to know. Oh, God. <laughs> super happy that I snorted there when I was laughing. Um, there's really very little about me that's um, that anyone needs to know, I think, except that with respect to what you're doing, um, I mean, there's basics, right? I'm a 51-year-old uh, divorced mother of a 20-year-old college student, um, and I grew up around the world, and uh, and I've been working inside the guts of Hollywood for over 20 years, somewhere between 20 and 30 years, I'd have to calculate it. So I think that there's really no part of anyone's brain that gets satisfied by an explanation about what I do. Mm. Um, it's better experience than explained. Um, but I will at another <laughs> point, but with respect to, um, you know, uh, well, I think it would be better just to reveal that as we're talking about this choice in this movie, okay. and I think the most intriguing or important thing about this particular conversation for anyone would be, I hope that I've been inside Hollywood for a very long time. And so I have a privilege of having access to people that are, um, you know, that are involved in filmmaking and the storytelling that, that, you know, that we all enjoy. And I also, my, I consider my emotional home really Paris, which is where this film takes place. And I grew up in both those places and the cultural differences and the film differences. It's all, that's really the thing that's the most relevant. Absolutely. Well, and I was going to ask you, as well, because I know we're talking about The Untouchables today, an incredible movie, and the original Untouchables 2011, I believe, and it takes place in Paris. I was going to ask you if that was like a major component in in talking about this film, but, you know, let me ask you straight out, you know, what was it about this film that you were like, this is the one I want to talk about? Um. Well, I already feel like I've talked too much. Um, this is like this reboot and pretend we're, we're going to start this interview all over again so that I would have already turned it off. I think this is, this is a great film. Um, first of all, I'm a, I'm a strange guest to have on a film show because I make a big deal out of not being in the film world. Um, but this is a film that I think packs such an emotional wallop. I don't know if you enjoyed it. You said you watched it right before we started talking oh, about yeah. last night. Like I found this to be, because of who I am, a particularly joyous, uplifting, life-affirming, um, you know, life-shifting film. Um, yeah. For, for, for people to watch, I think that film is a medium. Most of the people I know involved in filmmaking really want to move people with the stories that they're telling. And I found it very difficult not to be moved by this film and its characters and all of that. Oh, for sure. It's, it's gorgeous. I mean, from start to finish. And I think there is something about, you know, from an American's perspective of, you know, me watching it, there's something very kind of transcendent about listening to you know, the French language in addition with like this powerful story. I don't know, something about that like impacts me in a certain way. Does that make sense? Well, I mean, I don't, okay. I'm going to rip off my mask now because you seem like, <laughs> like what happened before we had this conversation start is you just, we just, I called you and we just met really, right? So yeah. you're obviously very 
um, on your toes. And I don't like, I don't think you're, so I'm just gonna, if I just, I'm going to shoot from the hip, I guess for, I'm ready. Okay. Um, (laughs) I don't think that the parts of the interview, like any talking about a film is it talking. I am, I teach yoga. Mm -hmm. That's really the simplest answer for what I do. I teach yoga and I was taught by a very specific person and um, there's a really huge story there. That's my story to tell, right? That's what I do or that's what I'm doing. But one of the things that he shared with me was that, and also I want to say, I hate when people flip in quote their yoga teachers. I just want to punch them in the face. Like people who are like that, I just want to punch them. Okay. What he said was that something his, one of his teachers and associates shared with him, um, what's being taught is not what's being learned. Okay. So I live my life in a lot of ways, like the character in this movie. I, my job description is a lot like the character in this movie and the, the way I think we should be on earth. And, you know, there's a Muhammad Ali quote service to others, I think is the rent we pay for our room on earth. You know, Mm -hmm. like I really genuinely try to live that on a personal level. And I try to share ways to make your life easier, happier, and more fun. That's really what I do with people. Um, so that's the stuff that's important about this movie. So universal. I think that it's hard not to give it away, but you go in and it's a movie really about choosing to be happy and it's so sophisticated in its delivery. I mean, what interests you? Am I allowed to ask you questions in this interview? I'd rather. Oh, sure. I can just talk. Anyone will tell you. So I could talk until everybody in the room is asleep. So I think that's the least interesting thing. <laughs> the most exciting thing about this would be to find out from you. Like, I always want to say, I've only had one person in the past like 15 years tell me that they thought the movie was okay. And that person is, in my experience, in a very deep depression also and having a hard time seeing the bright side. So I often use a film as a litmus test to kind of see where people are and their hope level because trying to motivate people to make changes in their lives that stick. Um, oh, yeah. That's really what I do, right? And it's sort of mm-hmm. answer. It's really difficult if people don't have hope. And that's what I think this movie brings a great deal of hope. And it's uh, it's really like one of those movies like Field of Dreams, you know, that is you see it once and you're forever changed and your outlook on life is different. And you just think about life with a little bit more uplift and joy and humor. And that's an incredibly powerful thing, you know. I was supposed to so you like, I would rather start this interview all over again. I wish you like hit stop and just record <laughs> and start it again. And we're going to flip the switch. Okay. I'm going to ask you about this movie and that's what this interview is about. Cause what Bobby didn't tell you about me, I could tell you I teach yoga or I am a healer or I work with other women is I went to journalism school for investigative journalism. So jokes on you. Am I allowed to swear? You're blushing. I can say that you're blushing. Jokes on you. Let's see how, let's see on your tippy toes. What did you think? Let's start this interview again. Hi, I'm Sasha. I'm a random person who happens to be very selectful in my jokes that seem very random, but as a healer, I take what I do very seriously. I just don't take myself seriously. So I'm here to interview your host, Becky, on a movie that tests her ability for emotional, you know, her ability to move around in the in the realm of emotion, which is what we all know what films are about. Becky, welcome to the show. <laughs> So, 
thank you for having me. Welcome. I'm so happy it's to be an here. Honor. It's an honor to have you. I understand you're very passionate about film, and that's why I'm going to use you as a tool to help other people understand how important it is for them to see this film, even though it's subtitled, even though it's from France, even mm-hmm. though it's old. Talk to me, Goose. Talk to me. <laughs> what did you know about this film going in? How? What it was your experience? I'd like to hear it. Okay. Well, I... I was familiar with, and I know I mentioned this beforehand, I was familiar with um, The Upside, which was 2017. It's a re- an American retelling of the same true story of a quadriplegic man hiring uh, an African-American attendant or, um, you know, home worker to like help him with his day-to-day activities. And so I was familiar with the the story, but it was very refreshing to see this version in particular because it's in Paris, because there's something about European film that like hits differently for me. Mm -hmm. And so all of those things combined really put it into like a different light. And I love this movie in that it is very hopeful Mm -hmm. and it does, it does kind of make you see both sides of the spectrum in terms of like the situation. Cause on one hand you have, you know, this guy Driss who seems like he may be a little lost in life and, but also trying to live life to the best he can. And then you have this, you know, other man, Philippe, who is a quadriplegic and has everything that he could possibly want in the world, but isn't necessarily living it to the best of his abilities. And so the the pairing of them, one of my notes that I wrote yesterday was like, their friendship is just so refreshing. Cause like right out of the gate, you have these, you know, two people who, you know, from a cultural or societal or classist standard shouldn't necessarily get along, but they do because they fulfill these, things inside of each other it's just so wonderful and like refreshing <laughs> to see just in general does that make sense sure does that oh, answer your question this is a movie that's very refreshing when you say refreshing what does that mean to you like if something's refreshing like it's a good word to describe a movie so how is it yeah. do you feel refreshed i think i feel refreshed in the sense of they could have gone hollywood with it where there's like you know, the music rises to a certain point and like, oh, this is the turning point for everything. And, and it doesn't do that. And so it's refreshing in that it's a natural progression from each scene of this movie and nothing feels like this was, you know, put there because we're going to use it later. It, it's all very human. And I think that's kind of the refreshing aspect of it for me is the humanist human aspect the humanist so it's, it seems like you didn't feel like it was formulaic like you didn't see it coming yeah not yeah touching. yeah yeah so well this is this, because this is a conversation that is technically i'm gonna just share with you some of my vehement thoughts and then we're gonna i'm ready your interview because you're um you're doing very well so far I'm thank you about um about this but i would like to hear from your emotional side and not your analytical side Does that make Mm -hmm. sense? Mm -hmm. Because that is, I think, the tool that we're going to deploy from your experience in this movie. That's the one I think is the most helpful to others to hear. 
Okay. As a healer, mm-hmm. this is where I'm coming from anyhow. Like, and, and I'm going to do some disclaimers. Okay. First of okay. all, um, there's a type of, there's a blue blood type of arrogance for Parisians. And one of the things that's cool, I just have to talk about French film. Like I'm not an expert on a lot of things, but being a big person who speaks fluent French and who can really get the nuances. One of the things that is really beautiful about this film, if you speak the French language is the nuances in the film, the slang, the cast system, the way the very, you know, the people, the the upper class interacts with the lower class. Um, that's also really, really cool. I'm devastated to hear that you had seen the remake. I was devastated to to actually hear that there was a remake. And I'm going to tell you what, I read two books in my lifetime that I thought, you know what, the best thing about this book is it cannot be made into a movie. One of them to this day still has not been made into a movie. I'm going to keep a mouth shut about it. So no one gets a wise idea to do it. Second (laughs) one was a book called perfume that actually my ex-husband gave me when he was trying to woo me. Because he knew I'd like to read at the time. Uh-huh. I still read books. And it was this book called Perfume, which I still say is Perfume because he gave it to me. It was from Scotland. So so I know that they, they made that movie and a lot of people saw it. But this movie really brings up a theme that is... We haven't really talked about it in that way. So I want to reintroduce it that way. Okay, Which is really... It's a guy... Who, there's, a, there's a rich guy who has had an accident and he has to hire somebody to take care of him. And he gambles on hiring this badass from the hood because he's so effing bored. Right. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm allowed to swear. I have to, I'm very, oh, sure. mouth, because I'm a very potty mouth person. So I want to like, I could really let him fly here. But like he's bored. And so this guy comes in and the guy, as you were saying, who comes in, he's got a chip on his shoulder. He's been, in prison and and it's about the fact that they end up he ends up taking the job and the relationship that ensues and how both are affected right would you think that's fair to say oh 100% yeah so and you don't see it coming in this version and there it's a natural relationship right yeah. and the shit that flies out of that guy omar c by the way was nominated for the i think he won the french oscar the version of the oscar that year called it was called uh, the cesar and he actually it lost a best foreign film too because it also happened to come out the same year as a movie called um amour which means love which was about an elderly couple which was a heartbreaker and much more people i think probably saw that movie that was a very unfair, um, but I personally thought that Omar C, that the head, the actor that got, you know, the accolades for this really should have gotten the, an, an Oscar. It was, if you know Paris and you know guys that are Senegalese, you know, the original true story, the guy is not from Senegal. He's from, mm-hmm. um, but in Paris, there's a lot of Senegalese and they have this kind of street smart. And, and this Omar C, this actor, he plays every nuance of this film with such grace and humor and with contagious smile, right? And he yeah. has over not only the guy, but um, you, my yeah. experience. So that's where I want to hear your analysis of this movie. I want to hear about how this movie made you feel. Because if you and I are successful and anyone listens to your podcast... They will be curious enough about this movie that they're going to want to go see it because of how it's going to make them feel. So Becky, mm. tell me a little bit about how this movie made you feel. <laughs> and when you talk about the kind of plasticizing of it, I have no doubt that they did that in the other movie. God bless those actors. God bless those directors. Nice try. It's like they did the same thing with the French movie called Nikita. 
a very close mm-hmm. friend of mine named Peter Wilson starred in the show. By the way, if you've never seen her on TV, she's incredible. The movie was, uh, the TV show was just called Nikita. She did all the right. shit Jennifer Garner did and Jennifer Garner got all the credit and, and, and God bless Jennifer Garner. She's cool. And, and you know, couldn't be cooler. But we right. did all that stuff before her. And it was a French movie called Nikita that was one of Luc Besson's. It might have been his first movie or second movie. It was brilliant. It's one of the sexiest movies of all time. It's got one of the sexiest women of all time. I had a whole company named Spy School that I did after that film. Okay? That's how cool yeah. it was. They did two things. They remade a shitty version with Bridget Fonda that nobody liked. And then they made a TV show and they didn't direct anybody towards the original. This is robbing of filmgoers of some of the best movies. It's not an accident that Luc Besson became a massive director. It's not an accident. And this movie right. is so exquisite in all the little details. Like Silence of the Lambs. Like there isn't a single thing in there that you didn't, you know, you didn't see it coming. It was all seamless. If you know what to look for, this movie is the same, but the result is, tell me about your experience emotionally, Becky. Um, so I, I enjoyed myself watching it and you're right. There is this kind of like natural progression of their friendship that you don't necessarily think is going to work, but it does. And it's so, it's heartwarming to see these two people kind of find each other and, by the end of it, it, it gave me this kind of sensation of like wanting to live more. And like, I try to live the best I can, you know, in the midst of a pandemic and things like that and like doing things that bring me joy. But I think it just kind of left me with that feeling of like, is there more I can be doing to like feel fulfilled in life? Right. If that makes sense. More you could be doing? Yeah. Like, like these two people find each other and find this kind of relationship and connection to each other that like brings out the best parts of each other. Bingo. Yeah. And so I, I think in that sense, it was like, well, what am I doing in my relationships to bring the best out in each other? And, and is there more I could be doing to like fulfill that aspect of things? If that computes at all. Now that, that- <laughs> completely confused to me okay so now yeah. we're having the conversation that to when out of the gate you know hey my name is sasha what do i do i'm an I'm intuitive healer so mm-hmm. this is a conversation that interests me at the moment right yeah. so like this is a movie that you said you're talking about connection these are the themes i think are relevant right the intimacy mm-hmm. that these guys have for each other because of the nature of the situation and how that makes you take a better look at your relationships right so you said like there was something you said, you said, um, that it makes them, uh, there's something about, you don't think that it's going to work, but it makes them bring out the best in each other. Tell me yeah. more about that. What did you well, I think it's, uh, what? what did you see that made you experience? What did you feel like that made you, what scene was it that you liked or what? Um, I think honestly, one of the biggest ones is, um, the first time. Philippe is, uh, or Driss hears Philippe like in pain, like in the middle of the night. And he's like, I just need air. Yeah. And so they go out like on the town and they, you know, smoke a joint, which Driss is hoping will help with this like phantom pain that Philippe is having. And which I think is so foreign to like Philippe's world in that sense of like, they end up going to this like fancy restaurant and like having these 
you know, long conversations about life. And Philippe, I think, kind of gives into this idea of like, okay, yeah, like he's a good guy and like he gets me and he listens and he doesn't treat me like I'm different. He understands that like it is different, but not in the way other people look at me, you know, like I'm still a person. Yeah. That's that's super, what you said right there about listening. I think that, you know, that when you talk about why could I relate to this personally? Okay. Like, first of all, this is what I do for a living. It's pretty much what Tris does. Okay. One, two, I have, I, I, I straddle in my life, all of those parts, all of the, the wealthy and the street and all of those people. Great. Big BFD. Okay. The thing that's really most powerful is I talk all day long. I talk and talk and talk to people. I can see them like checking out, rolling their eyes. Right. But I actually also, I'm a really good listener and I'm also, there's a couple things I'm good at. I'm good at intimacy with people, really deep relationships. And I listen really hard. And sometimes that doesn't work in my favor because I bitch and I call people out on shit. And just because I'll call you out on your shit doesn't mean that you're not, I'm not a flawed person too. It just means I'm a good listener. Mm -hmm. And that this guy, that thing that is really amazing about the relationship that, as you said, was based on a true story, right? Is that Mm -hmm. he was really listening and he really saw the character. They see each other. And they're listening to each other and they, they are able to develop that, like that, those scenes that you described, you know, are like when they had that moment where both of their worlds suited each other, like Driss needed a little more Philippe and Philippe needed a little bit more dress, you know, and, and yeah. they, they're so, and so, and again, it's like, I'm hesitant to say anything about the movie because I think part of the joy in it, I mean, I watched it again a little bit this morning when I was making coffee to remind myself about little bits. <laughs> and I've watched this movie repeatedly. I watch this movie anytime I feel shitty. Mm. And, um, you know, I don't know, I really did very little, um, I was very naughty in my own research about, about this podcast, you know, and, um, it just for the nature of the, the, my, me being nuts and also the nature of the pandemic. And I was traveling and it's Thanksgiving and I was back seeing my kid and I didn't know what day it was. And, you know, and like (laughs) we're all in this kind of funk, but I, I mean, my experience as a person who teaches people how to feel better naturally, you know, how to generate joy. It's really my job. Like the way I look at it is if I do my job correctly, I sell you on yourself. So, Mm -hmm. And you don't need me anymore. And that's why my teacher is so valuable to me. He taught me to encourage people to stand on their own two feet. And, um, and that is a lot easier said than done. And the most amazing thing about this film to me is that Driss teaches Philip to stand on his own two feet, you know, like he feels like a complete person again. Yeah. And that's really much more we can all relate to the way they both feel. We can all relate to being stuck in a situation and not being able to do something about it. And we can all be, you know, relate to being frustrated at watching the other side get everything. And there are so many lessons in this movie that even watching it this morning, I thought, wow, I would encourage people like once you, you know, it's one of those movies, once you've been through it, like, and you know what the ending is like, I can think of two that are like big surprise endings that I know of from my era. One was um, Inception, 
mm-hmm. which was a Christopher uh-huh. Nolan film, which ironically I've never seen the end of because I saw what? it twice on a plane and each time the plane <laughs> flipping was landing at the end. It's like a three hour movie and I never actually end up watching movies and I like turned it on and it was over. The craziest thing is I even know that that family from my son's school, like they're the kindest family, the woman I'm obsessed with the, the way uh, Emma is what his wife produces and leads her life with such grace. Um, she's so cool. She's just laid back, cool person without trying. It's really <laughs> scary. It's intimidating, but, but it'd be only cause she's so amazing that you're like, well, there I am. But I've right. never seen the end of that either. My point is that there are two <laughs> movies. Like if you know fight club, if you know the end, it's kind of uh-huh. messed up the way you see the beginning. And right. if you, no Inception, if you know the end, right? If there are a couple of movies like that. Usual suspects. Yeah. If you've seen the end, you're going to watch the whole movie differently. So I experienced this movie like that. I encourage people to watch it when they feel like they are not getting theirs. Watch it when they feel like the world has really fucked them over. Watch it when mm. they feel hopeless, when they have lost a, a reason to live, you know? I mean, that's why I chose this movie for you to share with other people or to experience yourself. It's a litmus test, I think, of of your fighting spirit. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, and I, I see and I, I feel all of those things in this movie of, of, of feeling like, you know, well, what else is there? And then finding... You asked that question. You said, well, how can I... How can I have that more in my life? So what are some of the ways you think you could have it more in your life from that being inspired by the movie? Hmm. I mean, that's hard. I'm not sure. And like, maybe it's a journey that I'm still going on. A journey you're still going on? Yeah. Just like in life of like, I, in my mind, I'm, we as a people are always like growing and changing and, and still figuring things out. So I think in that, in that kind of mindset, I'm still doing those things and feeling this way is like part of that journey. If that makes sense. It makes sense, but it seems a little vague and escapist as an answer. And I'm a very, I'm going to go after this this interview. So, so what, what you're saying is that, um, what, when you look at what things could you do better in life, Think about it for a second, right? So you've just seen this movie. It was recommended to you by somebody who my intention when I meet people is to have them have a better life than they had before they met me in some way, right? Uh That's my intention. So my intention with you is to have this Sunday morning conversation be about a movie that moved me and makes me always happier to be alive and a little more positive when I force myself to watch it. For a thousand reasons, I laugh out loud. I go on an emotional ride with the characters. And I would encourage people to watch it enough that they can really watch the movie, like read it, watch it once and look at the subtitles and then watch it. Because Mm -hmm. it's one of the reasons I encourage people to travel too, is that unless you really submerge yourself in a culture, you don't really understand what it's, what's happening, you know, with the people in the films. Yeah. What is it that you would change now? If you think about your life, something that you're maybe dialing in that you could have a richer experience? Um, I mean, so the first thing that comes to mind when you say that is like maybe taking more risk in life, like more chances. Like sometimes I think I probably play it a little safe. Play it safe. And 
yeah, like maybe not take the outrageous path or like something that I think is going to be, oh, well, that's nuts. Like, that's crazy. I don't want to do that. Like what? Give me an example of something that you think is crazy. I understand. I can relate. I haven't done a lot of things that I was terrified to do because I was scared. So what's something that you think, gosh, if there was no, there's, what would you do if you could not fail? Becky. Ooh. I don't think too much. What would you do if you could not fail? I know. Well, and it's so funny. When, as soon as you said that you cannot fail, the first thing I thought was skiing. <laughs> really? Skiing? Tell me more about that. My fiance loves to ski. Okay. And I, I tried it once and I had like a panic attack because I, it was like out of control and I had no, there was nothing. <laughs> balance was not a thing. And yeah, but like I know he would really enjoy it. And like if I knew I wasn't going to break every bone in my body, <laughs> I think I would probably like it. Okay, let's use this as an example, shall we? You are, um, we'll do a little bit of what I do. Okay. okay. <laughs> so, ironically, this is a, a, I should know better and I should be able to quote the psychologist where I first saw this, but mm-hmm. I can't because here we are. And if I try to do anything technical other than just talk to you, we'll have a total fail. But <laughs> this is where the pure meeting strangers and having spontaneous conversations with them starts to get interesting. Okay. Yeah. So, let's use, you know, first of all, I have a question. Did you have that skiing panic attack before or after you met your fiance? After. Okay. So can you consider the possibility that part of that panic might've been, oh my God, the pressure that you were putting on yourself, right? To like skiing Mm -hmm. when you're about to marry somebody whose passion (laughs) is skier. Can you consider that possibility? Yeah. I mean, I could consider it for sure. Yeah. So now we'll go back to the part of it being out of control in the psychologist. So you remember when you do this experiment, when you're, when you're in like second grade with dominant and recessive genes for the blue eyes and the brown eyes, where you make a big little B, remember there's that little quadrant. Okay. Pen and paper in front of you, you can draw another square just like that on a piece of paper. And, uh, I'll draw, let's see what I'm drawing on the back of. This is going to be good. (laughs) A moon ritual. Okay. So you can draw like a, draw like a square with a, with a, okay. In Uh the top, you have that done? Yes. Great. So in the top left, right, I'm going to, I'm only drawing this so that you can remember it because I think you'll find it interesting for the rest of your life. And that's my goal to leave you better than you were. (laughs) Okay. With this. Okay. So, um, I want you to write you, I, in the upper left-hand corner. Okay. And then I want you to write, um, you, uh, actually, no, then I want you to write, uh, C, C in the right top corner. Okay. Um, actually my bad C I C I. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Then I want you to write C C in the bottom left. Okay. And then, you see in the bottom right. It's a, okay. it's a wow. So we're going to take you on a little road trip. Okay. Life, okay. <laughs> Go up to the top left corner. Becky, what does it say? What are the, what are the letters that you have there? UI. Okay. So that stands for unconsciously incompetent. Uh-huh. Okay. So 
you, you see someone skiing and they're going down the baby trail. They're six years old. They've got their hands out like a little snowman. That's all really adorable. And you see the six year old and you go, I could do that. Okay. Uh Uh At that moment, you are what's called in the unconsciously incompetent stage of something. Does that follow? Follow? Yeah. Yeah. You're going to move over to the top right because you're going to have gotten a lesson. Now you're in the middle of the lesson. So for people, Mm -hmm. if you hadn't had your panic attack here, we'll get back to that later. Okay. (laughs) You will be moving to the extremely, what I call the awkward phase where you're consciously incompetent. Okay. You suddenly Mm -hmm. become aware that you suck. (laughs) Now, luckily for me, I suck at so many things that this is the entirety of my professional life is I try to create an environment where you can suck at something, dare to suck. It's pretty much my motto. Okay. Because Uh if you're willing to suck at something, you can get better and you can grow and you can become a different person and you can learn things and you can expand your horizons and you can do so many things, but it is so terrifying for most of us to be in that awkward state. For me, I feel such a shame shutdown during mm. that stage that I will pretend I don't like something, even if I do, because I just don't want to suck at it, especially not with someone watching. Right. Okay. I've uh-huh. done most of my life. I've sucked in public pretty much. That's <laughs> like pretty much my, my life. I have very long stories about that. Okay. So the bottom, now we're going to go to the bottom right because uh, the bottom left, okay. The bottom left, you've now decided you're going to get back on the horse because you have a lifetime of potentially having fun and not to mention the joy it might give your fiance right. to, share, <laughs> to teach you, which is probably not a good idea for like a year. Right. So like, <laughs> you deserve to suck without the pressure of thinking psychologically that your marriage might be over if you don't nail parallel skiing <laughs> in a half an hour. Okay. Right. Uh-huh. So you're consciously competent. You're, you're paying attention to everything at once. You're so busy trying to stay up that you're not having any fun. Most of the time mm-hmm. you're training consciously uh-huh. competent. And eventually you move. What does it say in the bottom right corner? You see, which is unconscious competence, right? That's when you're actually going to have fun and you're going to be able to ski just for the joy of it. And that's, you know, if you decide to do that, I know a lot of people that never take up skiing, but they take up snowboarding because it's more fun and easier to pick up for them. It's faster, it's faster to pick up and then they ski. But I also can tell you that snowboarders never, ever, ever get back on skis. In my experience. You just, okay. so if you, if you get so freaked out by skiing that you're like, forget it, I'm never doing it. I don't care. You can have, I'll drink hot chocolate in the locker right. and meet you. <laughs> no problem. I'll go, uh-huh. I'll read books, I'll watch movies <laughs> and do a podcast while you're skiing. It's perfect. Mm-hmm. Now you understand a little bit about the psychological process of learning. Mm. And one of the things that we do when we don't want to take risks is very simple. Like I like to break things down in this kind of like way, just because some people, it will help you not shame yourself. Shame is the magic killer. Okay. Mm. And, um, we'll draw that back to the film after, after this message from our sponsor. (laughs) But, but so what you, when you, when you're, we, we somehow feel we should learn things and just be naturally unconsciously competent at them. And you forget that people have had training, 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 oftentimes for decades before we ever even come into contact with their area of expertise. I wouldn't dare teach someone about health and wellness 
without the massive fuck ups that I've had. Multiple nervous breakdowns, fat bodies, skinny bodies, pregnancy bodies, hormonal bodies, you know, I've tried everything. So when I have someone that comes to me, I have a large well of experiences to draw on that I can either share them and motivate or I can comprehend what maybe they'd be feeling. Okay. So, so if you look at your own, most people who are driven as you are, you're doing a podcast for fun on the side, whatever. (laughs) Hey, Becky. Uh Uh-huh. If you consider another thing that my teacher says where he's quoting the same, I think the same guy, one of his teachers, a guy named Prashant, my teacher Manuso said the difference, um, an Arab saying, an Arab saying he quoted, um, which is, uh, the difference between poison and medicine is often amount, hmm. right? It's often the amount. Yeah. The difference between poison and medicine is often the amount. So it's like, if you consider the possibility that your perfectionism, <clears throat> um, if your drivenness, if your enthusiasm, if your willingness to try something new, all those things, they're borderline one to trying something new, right? Mm-hmm. Turn that volume up too high, Right. Then it becomes shaming. And it's like, why aren't I good at this already? How come I couldn't just get on skis, slippery 190 centimeter wax things going in two different directions with the equivalent of locks on my ankles that weigh about eight pounds each, right? Right. Those than I've ever worn in my life. And by the way, it's slippery and downhill. Why can't I master (laughs) this right now? (laughs) Yeah. Right? Yeah. I love people. It's a skill. Okay. So skiing is a skill that takes decades to master decades. Right. Okay. I know one of the coolest guys I've ever met in my life. The guy who taught me ice climbing is also a ski instructor. I know a lot of great ski instructors. If you're interested in taking a lesson or two, what a fun, (laughs) passionate thing to do, but wow. It sounds like you put a lot of pressure on yourself. For sure. Yeah. And he, he, had none of the pressure on me. He was like, if you don't want to do it, like you don't have to. And I'm like, no, I'm going to do it. <laughs> no, it's self, I'm very clear. It's self-generated Becky. Yeah, oh, for sure. For sure. <laughs> How long? Well, I'm, it's unfortunate you had a panic attack. You sat down and then you're just <laughs> let your body wouldn't go any further. Yeah. No, my, my legs were like jelly. My heart was beating out of my chest. And he was like, maybe you just go back to the lodge and like, relax. And I was like, yeah, you go on without me. What did you do? Did you take your skis off? What happened next? I did. I took my skis off and I walked in the boots that click into the skis all the way back to my shoes. Are you (laughs) old enough to drink? Yeah. At the time I was. (laughs) Thank goodness. (laughs) Very few times in life that it's like, give that woman a shot. (laughs) Bless your heart for giving it a go. Do you have any interest in trying skiing ever again? Or is that your one shot? It has, it has been years. And even now, sometimes I think about it and I'm like, Ooh, I don't know. But well, the first question was, what was it? If you could do, what would you do if you could not fail? Yeah. And that was the first thing I thought of was like ski maybe. So how old, how old were you when this happened? Ooh, I think it was maybe 2017. Oh, wow. Something like that. Okay. Yeah. So a couple years ago, my twenties. Okay. Somewhere. And where are you located? (laughs) So we live in uh, South Jersey, but we went up to the Poconos in Pennsylvania. 
got it to go skiing because there's no snow. No, no, no places to ski around here. <laughs> no. Oh, really? I'm not. I just yeah. came back from the East Coast and I was like, what? That's why I moved to California. It's snow. <laughs> no, don't care if I ever see it again, except maybe, but wow. So, wow. So, okay. So if you could not fail, so I think there's a part of that in this film, you know, like there's a couple of scenes, like when you've already had your accident. Yeah. It could go one of two ways, right? You have nothing to live for. You have nothing to die for, you know, like, or you become, I had a great experience with another, I'm writing about all this, by the way, I'm a writer and a teacher. So I'm writing something that I hope to publish <laughs> soon about all of these stories and how they marble together. And um, because they do to me, they marble together, but I'm going to tell you a friend of mine on the same yoga journey I was in 2014. I was in the end of 2014. I went to go see a woman named Gita Iyengar teach 1300 women yoga Mm -hmm. in a stadium. And she was, it was her 70th birthday. And it was unlike an experience that I've ever had. And people would say to me all the time, how's the ashram? How's the ashram? I was like, I'm not a fucking ashram. Oh my God. I'm (laughs) studying with a doctor. I'm staying in a fucking normal hotel. I really am tired of the way people perceive India and in the United States, which is similar mm. to how tired I am about how people perceive France and vice versa and why my company is about connecting all three of those things and making those experiences possible and that for everyone that I can. Okay. Yeah. So, so I'm on, I'm watching the stage and, and my teacher's up there, you know, cause he's always trying to help us all learn. And, um, and there's a guy up there who has no legs. And he's had both his legs removed or, and he's doing a headstand. Now I don't even do, like, I would skip my headstand. I was in the part of yoga where I was like little Miss Yosa yoga poster child, but at home I wasn't doing my practice. I wasn't standing (laughs) on my head. I wasn't doing anything. I was like trying on the mantle of teaching yoga and I was really high off what I had done, but it was not Kundalini yoga, just to be clear, very different school of yoga, very disciplined, very, pardon me. Um, I think it's burped. I never, I've burped like eight times in the past 25 years. That's fascinating. Um, literally. So, um, so, so anyway, this guy, I was riveted and there were a couple times in the history of my learning yoga where I was riveted by the person and they became a very central person in my life. And, um, this guy, Mark, um, I was like, I have to know him. That was the sentence I heard in my head being intuitive and having hyper senses. I I feel things more than I hear them. I just suddenly Mm -hmm. know things that uh, I can't explain. I just know them like my whole body. It just knows it. And I can no longer act like I don't know it, which is Mm -hmm. part of why I had my own nervous breakdowns, but I digress. My point (laughs) being is I'm sitting in the, in the audience looking and I can't stop thinking, I have to know you. I, I have to know that guy. And so when we're leaving, remember, we're in a football stadium. There are so many people that came out of retirement. Uh, when, when Gita Iyengar said she was going to teach one class to come out of retirement in celebration of her 70th birthday, they had so many people. They had to call my friend named Sandeep Patel to mm-hmm. literally rent a stadium in this round of poop because there were too many people and it just kept getting bigger. So they rented a stadium. So we're walking out right now. I was on a total opposite side of this guy who was on the stage for this demonstration. But when I walked out, we were right next to each other. And like, so here's a thing that really makes me, I think different. Okay. A lot of times people ask, 
how I get really confident. People who aren't annoyed by me are like, how do you get so confident? Or how come you've had so many different life experiences? Or because I specialize, Becky, in, in encouraging people to do simple things for themselves and take risks and take chances. It's really like my, yeah. my juice. Okay. It's the thing uh-huh. that gets me out of bed in the morning. So, so I said, I just blurted it out to him. I just was, saw him and I just said, I have to know you. And he was like, hi, I'm Mark. And I said, I have to, then I just started asking him questions. And I said, what is yoga like now for you that you don't have legs? I just was so fascinated by his peppy attitude, which he has about everything, Becky. Uh-huh. Okay. And he looked at me straight in the eye and he said, well, I don't have hamstrings. I used to have tight hamstrings. I don't have hamstrings anymore. So I don't have tight hamstrings, but he was genuinely like looking for the answer. He had to think about how yoga was different because he had no legs. And I uh-huh. stood there on my own two feet and was mortified at my own lack of gratitude for my legs and also my attitude adjustment. So mm. my point being, I went one day, there was some reason that I was telling you this. One day I went to a concert in uh, yeah, I, now I know why I went to, a, uh, I was in San Diego and out of the blue, Mark called me out and we hadn't seen each other really since that event, except we had talked a couple times And he said, what are you doing? And I said, strangely enough, I'm in San Diego where he lived. Like I had only ever been to San Diego one other day of my life. And he was like, I have tickets to a concert. Do you want to come with me? And I said, sure. I couldn't believe it. And I said to him, I'll drive into San Diego. I'm like 20 minutes away. He's like, I'll come get you. And I was like, Mark, you don't have to come get me. That's like a 20 minute drive here and a 20 minute. It's crazy. And he goes, Sasha, I have plates. I, I will come get you. And I was like, I don't know what that means, but I guess handicap plates. Okay. All right. So he comes to get me. I was delighted. We start driving. And then I realized halfway through that it might be a date. Cause I was like, last time I was with Mark, he was married. Oh, so I'm just um, clear to him. I want to be like, we're like clear. I'm here because it was an opportunity, not because I'm on a date. Are we clear about that? Cause if we're, uh-huh. we're going to have a great fucking time. And he's like, I'm totally cool with that. Apparently he burned out his wife. He burned out a lot of people until he met his current wife. He was just a very intense guy. But my uh-huh. point is we go in to this concert and we have, I've gone to a lot of concerts. I used to work in the music industry. Okay. Mm-hmm. I had such a good time. It was, um, uh, I'll, I'll remember the name of the guitarist band from, uh, South America. They're the gypsy Kings. Amazing. We got right in the front because he got, you know, a special seating. And while we're talking, we're having a really good time at this concert. Okay. And Mm. I said to him, seeing the Gypsy Kings and like having a ball was like, was practically like, we're talking about bucket list. And I was like, what's on your bucket list? And he looks me in the eye, just like he did when he answered me about the hamstrings. And he said, I don't have a bucket list, Sasha. Right. This is a guy who went back to Afghanistan. He was a bomb detonator. He went back multiple times. His mom deserved like a purple heart because he was like, every time my mom got called, he had like five siblings and he got into a lot of trouble, but he went back because his partner was killed on the previous tour. And he wasn't even bitter about his legs. He felt like he was, he's one of the most upbeat, eloquent human beings I've ever met in my life. And actually the real reveal about the film, okay, and why I do what I do and why I feel passionate about stuff like you got to get back on the skis, girl, okay, <laughs> for yourself. Yeah. For yourself. 
Cause that was a, t- that's a telling answer. And like that, that living fear is love is greater than fear. It really mm. truly is. And everything that you want, George Adair said is right by is on the opposite is on the other side of fear. George Adair said, everything you want is on the other side of fear. Mm. And it's been my yeah. experience. And what you was talking about, what you was, what you was talking about before, Becky, <laughs> with the, you know, what you were talking about with the, um, you know, with him waking up and having a panic attack, right? This guy's realized yeah. the first time that you see how much Driss really cares for him and how actually he is the right guy. Um, he's scared, right? And he goes out and gets some air. And it's like, what would it be like for you to be on the other side of that? There are all those scenes in this movie. All of them, if you look carefully, every single character goes through an arc of terror and, um, and joy. And, and it's cause they, they take risks, you know, and they play a little bit and they're not really hurting anybody. They play a couple of tricks on some cops and, you know, they, yeah, it's just very, you know, imagine what your life would be like. I imagine I want you to pick one more thing because I'm going to check back with you. The end of season. (laughs) There's got to be a way that you can you know, learn a little bit. And, yeah. um, but what a beautiful man you're going to marry. <laughs> I like to think so. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm very lucky that I found him. That's how I feel. And I, I say it all the time of like, I just like hanging out with you. Like just like being around you. And I think that's one of the nice things about our relationship. So we just like being together. So. Well, how fun yeah. if you were able to do a little bit of enjoying skiing. Yeah, we can do it together. Yeah. And, you, you know, don't have to go skiing <laughs> on the same slopes all the time. Yeah, you know, it's part of the nice thing is even when you're together and you're skiing, you're apart because you're by yourself in your mm-hmm. head, and you can be quiet up the up the up the chairlift. So I don't know if you're willing to maybe hit a bunny slope or two. Just give yourself <laughs> a break, <laughs> Becky. I know. I know. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. No, I know. And it's something I'm trying to work on it. I really am. <laughs> you know, so like this is your cat out of the comfort zone. Do you think you could handle that? Do you think you could handle going back on a slope for real? Oh, I mean, after this lovely like unpacking session, it feels like, yeah, I can do anything. But <laughs> really, that would be a very successful unpacking session. I'm just yeah thinking about like, this is what the movie you know, we were talking in the very beginning of this conversation about what's relevant about me. Like, I'm just some schmo that, you know, knows. Is that I have been in Hollywood and I had a very particular experience, Becky, where somebody, um, where I taught in prison. I taught people who were notorious murderers in prison yoga. And then I came home and I taught a TV star that same afternoon. And then I spent some time with a very good friend, uh, student who's a sports illustrated swimsuit model multiple times over. I think she did for six years before she finally walked away. Um, and, uh, all three of them had the same kind of self-hatred issues, all three sets of women, the women in prison were the most uplifting and the most honest and straightforward. And, and, um, it was an, I had an extraordinary experience. I like flatlined after that weekend, after I heard them all say the same thing. And I thought, wow, there's a lesson in this. And I can't ever go back to teaching again. And ever since then, when people say, what is it that you do? I'm kind of like, mm, I'm around doing this project thing. But it's because I, if I do my job, 
you're going to be so confident that it's only a matter of time before you push me away. Yeah. Or walk away. And I'll have done my right. job with you. And it's, it's very heartbreaking for me because I get very attached to people and I don't want them to leave. And I really right. do. I did a lot of passive aggressive shit in my back, in my back history with that confusion. But now that I've accepted, this is kind of my job. I'm better at just, just helping people on their path, which is what I was taught to do. And, you know, I, I just think that you're, if you're the kind of girl who can do 50 podcasts as a side session, okay, maybe you have your lane, like you're doing something in your house, you're talking to people about a subject you love and just getting to know, using film as a connective tool right? Yeah, to get to know other people and have a different experiences. But like, this movie, if it was successful, if you watch it twice, which I hope you will, because you'll see a lot of different things in it the second time you see it. After you don't have to yeah. read, you'll watch the nuances of how that guy plays his character and how much they do rub off on each other and how they're both taking risks through the entire film. They encourage the intimacy and the confidence that they get from each other is it expands their life and they both get to take risks. Yeah. You know? and uh, For sure. They're different for each of them, but, but by, but Driss, thank God, doesn't take himself so seriously. And he's not really that intimidated. That's my favorite, my favorite scene in this movie. Cause it's not a spoiler is when is, well, there's, there's always a funny scene to every serious scene in this movie, usually with the same characters. But the first time you see his lawyer and his lawyers said to him, we, you know, we really were worried about you. Oh yeah. You know, this guy doesn't have, they don't have any pity, the street guys. And, and he look, looks at him and says, that's what I want. I want no pity. Like, can you imagine what it's like to be in that kind of situation and people pity you all your life? Mm. You have to become the kind of person who won't, you don't buy it. Right. And that's like my friend, Mark, you know, or a friend, April, or these other people I know that like, they're very honest, you know? There's brutal mm -hmm. honesty in tragedy and there's brutal honesty in humor. And if you can mix the two, then you have a winner. Yeah. So I think that <laughs> you would feel so good about yourself. I will make a prediction right here and you can record <laughs> this. That if you commit to six lessons on a bunny mm -hmm. slope, you will feel so good about yourself that it will reverberate into your marriage in numerous ways. And it will have nothing to do with whether or not you choose to ski again. It will <laughs> be something that you get to define, you know, it's yeah. soul and separate. But yeah. even in conversation, that would change. I would be very curious to hear from you if you ever do get back on the slope, how that was for you. Because <laughs> it was well, the now very I first thing that came to mind for you. Yeah, well, and it is interesting that that's the first thing that came to mind. And yeah, it's just, I mean, I feel like there's like a challenge now, which is another thing I realized about myself. It's like, oh, she's challenged me to go back on those slopes. I have to yes, now. Have. And it's winter too. Aren't you lucky? <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. Is there anything you'd like to know about the film? Anything else I can... I mean, it feels like we've covered so much <laughs> in this time. Especially for me, I'm feeling confident and good, ready to take on things. Yes. <laughs> right? Let's like you do that. I love that. I mean, that's first and foremost, that's my intention. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, first and foremost, thank you so much for agreeing to come on the show. This has been absolutely delightful. 
I'm glad that Absolutely. You, you feel that way. I feel <laughs> super awkward. Like I was always literally, I wish I could start it again, but I'm glad that you, I'm glad you had that experience. Yeah. I think this was really great. And I mean, I can't thank you enough for coming on and no need. Thank you. It's good <laughs> to be picked. Well, good luck. To you. Um, I can't wait to see you. Yeah. Good luck with the uh, wedding invitations. All, all. <laughs> Thank you. And as many French movies as you can in your head. They're really, they're great for emotion. They love, oh, very yeah. funny and passionate people, the French. And it's, conveyed, yeah, I'm excited. Yeah. It's conveyed. Um, if you look real carefully at this movie, you can see how to do it because Driss mm. really is demonstrating how to live a very emotionally liberated life. So yeah. It'll be fun for you to watch a second time too. Yeah, I'm excited. It's going to be good. And I mean, thank you again so much for coming on. We got to do, we got to do this again. I can't wait. I can't wait to hear. I wish you well. Good luck on the slopes. Wear long underwear. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) And have a hot time for me. Okay. I will for sure. (laughs) We'll talk again. We'll talk again. Another huge thank you to Sasha Ferguson for coming on the show and talking about this great, great French film. I honestly had so much fun just talking one-on-one with Sasha. Um, You don't get a lot of chances as the host of a podcast to be asked questions, I guess, if that makes sense. And the whole experience of just speaking one-on-one with her was so refreshing and and a little bit enlightening and I mean you guys will just have to tell me what you think because I felt so confident and so much like I could take on the world after I was done speaking with her that it was just kind of mind-boggling. Now of course if you liked this episode as always you have a couple options of what to do next. Um, Option number one you can always follow us on Instagram. I post five times a week with the updates for the movies that we'll be watching and discussing and also who's going to be on the show and anything new happening with the show. Um, Our Instagram handle is at scopophilia underscore podcast. Uh, Additionally, we we also have a TikTok account. Uh, Slowly but surely, I'm creating content for it. Uh, And that is at scopophilia the podcast. Um, Additionally, we do also have merchandise just in time for the holiday season. Uh, We have hats, we have tote bags, and we have t-shirts all with the logo. The link for that can be found in our Instagram bio, as well as at ncpodcasts.com slash scopophilia. Now, since you're already online looking at all of those amazing things and following us on social media, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the show because it helps us out a lot, as always. And I love hearing from you guys as well. So it's a win-win for everybody, really. Lastly... Since you're online, make sure that you are sharing us, you know, the show with your friends and your family and your family of friends and your friends of family, because we love having this conversation together. And what better way to break the ice during the holidays if you haven't seen each other in a while by saying, hey, have you heard about this new podcast that I've been listening to? Because um, it's pretty great. <laughs> and also, don't forget to take the moral of this episode, which is facing your fears and pushing past them and remaining hopeful in everything that you do in life with you, because I know that's what I took out of it. (laughs) 
As always, I'm your host, Becky Teller, leading the millennial movie movement here on Scopophilia. And I'll see you all next Friday. Bye.